Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. But uh, Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, says this, I thank my God, making mention of you always. How often? Always in my prayers. This is Paul writing, and as we saw the week before, uh, we identified that um, Paul was praying for the churches continually. He was always lifting up the churches in prayer, always lifting up the churches um, that he was planting, these brand new babes in Christ, these newly born again, uh, brought out of darkness into light kingdom citizens. And he says, man, now that I've heard about your faith, Now that I've heard about you making this commitment to come into the kingdom, to live the kingdom life, to live as citizens of the kingdom, not as citizens of a lost world any longer, I'm praying that you discover some things. The kingdom life is a journey of discovery. Say that with me. Say journey of discovery. You and I are now on a path to discover and learn some things about this new way of life called the kingdom life. And when we talk about identity, so many times where uh, my wife and I, as we're counseling, as we're meeting with people, as we're pastoring people, as we're shepherding people, we, we quickly recognize where we are still identifying with ways that are not uh, how we ought to be identified in the kingdom of God. The world, uh, I think you've heard me say this at some point, maybe even during this series, that if you don't discover your identity in Christ, the world will quickly volunteer to tell you who you are. They'll be quick to identify you by where you've been, what you've done, your accomplishments, your successes, your failures, and neither one is an adequate identity that God wants you to live by. And so as we talk about identity, as we talk about learning who we are in Christ, we have to discover beyond what this natural life wants to tell us, beyond the divorce, beyond the bankruptcy, beyond the brokenness, beyond the hurts and the pains, beyond the failures. Even Paul says, I forget what lies behind. That includes my victories and successes. Sometimes we're relying on accolades where we ought to be relying on God. Sometimes we get comfortable in our victories when God is trying to move us on to the next thing. The just shall live by faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. And so even sometimes we find ourselves, even in the good identity, settling for something less than what God has for us. And when it comes to an identity, there's only one place you'll find it. And that's in the word of God. That's in his word. See, God is the manufacturer. God created you. Therefore, he's the only one that has the right to define you. Only the manufacturer defines the value, the worth, the purpose, the destiny, the intent of of, of what's designed, of the creation. When someone created the iPhone, when Steve Jobs created the iPhone, in his mind, 
He knew what this thing was going to be. He knew what this thing was going to accomplish. He knew what this was going to look like. He determined its function, its purpose. So Samsung didn't get to determine it. Guess what? Not even you and I get to it. We get to use it. But we have to make sure we're using it according to the design of the creator. According to the design of the manufacturer. And guess what? If I use it outside of its destined intent, outside of its design, outside of what it was, of its intentional purpose and function that Steve Jobs gave it, then I will misuse it, I will abuse it, and then I'll complain about it because it's not performing what I want it to do, even though I'm not using it according to its function. That sounds weird to talk about a phone that way, but many of us are doing that with our own lives. We're trying to be successful in our assignment. We're trying to be successful living up to what somebody else thinks we should be doing. We're trying to measure up to what man wants. We're constantly living for the applause of man, appealing to man, uh, for the validation of man, and then we wonder why we're always disappointed, discouraged, and distraught. Because we haven't spent time trying to find out what the manufacturer wants for our life. We haven't spent time getting with the heart of God, the creator, the designer. And I can tell you right now, you'll be far more successful in his plan than you ever will be in yours. The enemy will make you think you're just successful enough to keep following his plan. But he'll always leave you dissatisfied in the end. There will always be an emptiness in the end. So Paul says, I pray for you. What am I praying? What's Paul praying? Verse 5, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Essentially what he's saying is, I've heard that you've come into the kingdom. I've heard that you've been translated out of darkness. You've transitioned into light. You're living this new life. Verse 6, this is what I'm praying, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. How many of you are here a couple weeks ago when we handed out the In Him books? Everyone got a copy of the In Him book. Read that for the next 10 years, once a day. I'm serious. I mean, if you listen to a doctor give you a prescription, listen to a pastor give you a prescription. Read that once a day for the next 10 years and see if your revelation doesn't change. See if you don't start identifying yourself not by your sin, not by your brokenness, not by your pain, not by what you've been through, but by what God has already written about you, the manufacturer, the creator. That's where you start finding out your true identity. And we did, we've already said this, that God only operates by revelation. So you're not informing yourself of what God's word says. This isn't a matter of gaining information. This is a matter of gaining revelation. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So by being in the word of God, by being in those verses, by reading that little book and, and reciting those verses, plugging your name in there, I mean, this is a real prescription. What you end up doing is you open up and increase your capacity for revelation. Many of us are asking for a word from God. I want to hear you, God. God, why don't you speak to me? God, why don't you show me? And he's saying, increase your capacity. Because he is speaking. 
We don't believe it's a question of if he's speaking. It's a question of, are we hearing? Are we listening? I need to increase my capacity to hear. How? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more that I'm in the word, the more that I increase my capacity to receive the word and see what, he, what his word has said the whole time. God is not in heaven trying to decide your outcome. God is not in heaven trying to figure out what you'll be good at. God is not in heaven trying to determine what you are called to do and assigned to do. That's all been predestined. Romans chapter 8 says that he predestined us beforehand. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to the purpose. The calling came before the sending. He didn't send you and then say, ah, what are they going to do? Where am I going to send them? What are they going to be good at? Where are they going to make influence? Who are they going to speak into? What, am I, what are they going to put their hand to? What are they gonna, uh, their abilities, their capacity? No, he knows all that. When you come into the kingdom, you actually start at the end and work your way back. What do I mean by that? I mean that I'm not working for my identity. I'm working from my identity. You hear me? I, I, you're, I'm not working to please God and so I can be approved of God. I'm working because he, I am ple- he's pleased with me, because I've been approved, because I've been sent, and now I'm working from that. You see the difference? There's still work. But one is striving and one is surrendering. Striving is trying to prove to God, see, I'm called. See, I'm your child. Surrender is saying, I'm your child. Now send me where? Surrender says yes before the command. Surrender says, you speak, I follow. Speak, Lord, for your servant is hearing, is listening. You see the difference? See, these are the things that the enemy, again, going back to deception, he wants to hide these things from you. If he can keep you striving, then you'll be spending all your best efforts trying to become something you already are. Come on. Genesis chapter 3. Don't you know that if you eat of this fruit, you'll be more like God? Well, according to Genesis chapter 1, They already were. So if Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, God created man in his image and his likeness, he created them, male and female, he created them both. And he gave them authority, gave them dominion to subject the earth and everything creeping on the earth under them. Then why are they striving in Genesis chapter 3, disobeying the word of God to become something they already are? Deception. Where there's a lack of revelation, there's an increase of deception. See, revelation's not an option for us. We've made some things in, in church and in Christianity optional that God never designed for us to live with the option of. And living by revelation is what keeps you alive. Man was designed to live by revelation, not information. What is revealed by God. So when I come into the kingdom, man, my spirit comes alive. This is why we say you got to be what? Born again. New life. 
I love when people tell me, well, you know, Pastor Brian, I'm just struggling with this, and I just have this addiction, I have this uh, problem, I, 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 I had this issue growing up, I went through that. Oh, good, you need to be born again. Clean slate, brand new start. That means everything up to that point that was hindering you, stopping you, keeping you from what God wanted, it's now been wiped off the face of, and, and God says, let me just give you a brand new, let me just, let's just start all over. He's a new creation. You know what that word new actually means in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? That word new means this. Something that has never existed before. Now you can take your car to the car wash and clean it up the best you can. Or you could just go ahead and get rid of it and get something brand new that's never been driven. Has zero, zero miles on it. It's up to you. God didn't just clean us out. God renewed us, restored us, made you brand new. Brand new. A, a species of being that's never existed before. That's you and I in Christ. And so now I go on this discovery, and he says, I need you to discover what belongs to you in Christ Jesus. I need you to discover your new identification. In fact, the Amplified reads it this way. Philemon chapter 1, verse 6, uh, reads this way in the Amplified. And I pray that the participation in Sharing of your faith, uh, participation in and sharing of your faith may produce and promote full recognition. Everyone say full recognition and appreciation and understanding and precise knowledge of every good thing that is ours. Watch this in our identification with Christ Jesus and unto his glory. What's Paul praying? He's praying that you have full recognition and appreciation and understanding and a precise knowledge of every good thing that is ours in our identification with Christ Jesus. Now, this implies something. This tells me that when I come into the kingdom, I'm not fully aware. When I come into the kingdom... Apparently, I don't have a full recognition. I don't have an appreciation for. I don't have an understanding, and I don't have a precise knowledge of every good thing that is ours. If we had this already when we're born again, then Paul wouldn't be praying so diligently and intentionally for the churches to know this. Apparently, I come into the kingdom... However you came into the kingdom, without a full recognition of my identity with Christ, my new identity, the old is gone, the new has come. We have cited and cited that verse over and over and over, and we've never asked ourselves, what is the new? Or maybe we just settled for the new being when I die, I go to heaven. When I leave this planet, it's funny, we, come, we enter the kingdom with an exit plan out of the earth. We enter the kingdom looking for a way out of here. But while we're here, no hope, come on, no peace, no healing, no deliverance, no blessing, 
that's not an identity with Christ. And we said this a couple of weeks ago. If, if the only way for you to obtain what we just read, all the good things that come with your identity with Christ, if the only way to obtain that is to die and go to heaven, Jesus is not your Savior, death is. <laughs> You're telling me Jesus did all he had to do, but yet there's still one more step you have to take to obtain everything that book says is yours. It means you got to die? That I can't achieve that here in this life? Now, yes, when I, go, when I die and go to heaven, and that, that, that's a real case, that's a real state, that will happen. When that happens, man, you're going to receive full glory. But here on this planet, here on this earth, there are things we have access to now. And wouldn't it be just like your enemy to deceive you and talk you out of what belongs to you now, knowing that it means his demise if you ever discover that? <laughs> I mean, if I were your enemy, that's what I would do. The less you know, the better for me. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. That's the devil's favorite verse in the Bible. Because this is what he's saying. You're doing all the work for me. The devil doesn't even have to fight against a believer that doesn't know who they are. <laughs> Those are the good kind of battles. For the enemy, they don't even know. I mean, the second you find out that healing is yours, man, he, he's got a fight. He has a fight on his hands. And he knows he loses if you find that out and you stay in that fight. We've just been standing with a, a family here in our church, the Ritters. Many, many of you are, are aware of the situation with their infant son. Uh, how old is Ollie? Five months? Six months? Five months. Open heart surgery. But we have been watching the devil get his teeth kicked in all week long. Because we know who we are. We know what belongs to us. We know what we have authority over. I texted Matthew the other day. I said, the devil owes you. He owes you your time back. He owes you your finances back. Whatever you've had to commit to this. He owes you your peace of mind back. Because we have a sound mind. He owes you your strength because they're getting drained. Yeah, battles are draining. That's why you got to be refreshed by the Spirit of God. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. You get drained. You get whipped real quick, even when you're fighting a good battle without the Holy Spirit. Don't grow weary while doing good. doesn't mean you're doing bad, but even doing good, it drains you. And man, they've been, they've, been, they've been staying filled up. They've admitted to me, man, we're tired. It's been emotional, physical exhaustion. They're not sleeping at night. You're not eating like you normally would. I mean, you know, every second anything can happen according to the reports that these doctors are giving you. And for a lot of believers that don't know who they are, the devil doesn't even have to put up a fight. He doesn't even have to respond. But now he's having to put work in. And guess what? He's a defeated foe. I said he's a defeated foe. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. <laughs> it's done. Uh, the Passion Translation. Let's just read that here. I pray for you, verse 6. 
I pray for you that the faith we share may effectively deepen your understanding of every good thing that belongs to you. Come on, there's stuff that belongs to you. I'm convinced that we pray about things we should be speaking to. Jesus didn't pray about the storm, he spoke to it. Jesus didn't pray to cast out a demon, he spoke to it. Jesus didn't pray to heal somebody, he spoke to it. Come on. Jesus didn't even pray to get Lazarus up out of the grave after being dead four days. He spoke to him. Lazarus, come forth. That's weird for a lot of Christians. Because prayer is like our go-to. And prayer is valuable when you use it right. Prayer is an indispensable tool that you and I have. Communication direct directly to the throne room, but many of us are misappropriating. We're praying about things that we ought to be speaking to, and we're grumbling about things we ought to be praying about. Hello? No, he says that you uh, may effectively deepen your understanding. I want to go deeper in my understanding of what belongs to me in Christ. I want to go deeper. I don't want the enemy getting over in my life in any area. But any area you're ignorant in, you will live defeated in. Any area that we either haven't come to the knowledge of or we have rejected the knowledge of is an area where the devil can defeat us. So we got to go on this journey of discovery. Amen? Go to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm just going to spend today and just talk to you about who you are in Christ. What does that mean? What is your identity? How do you see yourself? You know, we covered two weeks ago, in the last time I was with you, the difference between the sin consciousness and a Christ consciousness. Where a sin consciousness is extremely aware of its failures, of its shortcomings. They love verses like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They they are more aware of their brokenness, their failures, their shortcomings, um, their inability to measure up, their nature, fleshly or maybe even carnally. You know the difference? Flesh nature is just, that's the nature that's submitted to the world, doesn't even have a chance. It's not even in the kingdom. But a carnal nature is one that is in the kingdom, but still lives like the world. Carnality, yes, is, is, it, it, it covers sin. It covers a sinful lifestyle. But carnality is also thinking less of yourself than you really are. That's carnal thinking. Carnal thinking makes statements like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. After you've been born again, after you've come into the kingdom, after you've confessed and made Jesus Lord of your life, after you've been quickened and made new and restored and the old is gone and the new has come, you're still identifying with your previous sin nature. That's carnal thinking. Carnal thinking does not defeat the enemy. Now, 
When I say sin consciousness, I'm not denying that I have a capacity to sin. I'm not denying that there's a fallen nature that I contend with day in and day out. But Paul said this, I die daily. I don't subject uh, my spirit to my flesh. I subject my flesh to my spirit by crucifying my flesh. Now, when you live that way, I don't know how crucifixions go with you, but typically what you crucify doesn't live. And I don't know what kind of crucifixions you're performing, but what you crucify should die. It's a pretty, pretty simple concept. And when he makes the statement, crucify my flesh, he's talking to people where that's a real term. You and I can have imagery, but they had reality. Many of them lost family members to these brutal crucifixions that took place on a regular basis. Romans were doing everything they could to stop the word, of going, the word of God going forth, to stop the ministry of these new believers called Christians. Doing everything they could. And crucifying them was a measure that wouldn't just kill people, but it would scare the others because it was such a torturous event. And this is the imagery that Paul chose. This is the wording that Paul chose. that says, this is how you should treat your flesh. Crucify it. Hang it on a tree until it runs out of breath and dies or bleeds out. Because that's how they died on a cross. They didn't die because hands were in their, nails were in their hands and feet. They died because they couldn't breathe anymore. They died because they bled out. They died from just pure exhaustion. It was a very torturous tool. Why am I going to in such depth? Because that's how Paul describes you and I treating our flesh. And it doesn't have a say any longer. Well, that's where the Christ consciousness comes, in, comes into play. See, I'm one, I, I, don't, I don't like to give the enemy any grounds. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't like talking about what the enemy's doing. You got enough of that already. I'm here to tell you about what Jesus did. I'm here to tell you about what you can do if you submit to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm not here to highlight what the, the, how bad the world is and how chaotic everything is and all the destruction and all the depravity and all the, the mess that's going on. I don't need to give him another minute of airtime. I'm going to tell you what the Word says. I'm going to tell you what Jesus did. I'm going to tell you what God has already spoken into existence. So Christ consciousness is an awareness. It's saying I'm more aware of what Jesus did for me spiritually than what Adam did to me spiritually. But it's amazing how we, 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 we give all this credence to Adam. I mean, when I read the verse, you know, by one man's fault, all have, come, all have been born into sin. Oh, we, we grab hold of that, no problem. But then when I go to the other side of the verse, but by one man's uh, uh, sacrifice by one man's gift. Righteousness has been made available. Why do we have a harder time grabbing that than the other? If I'm going to believe that I'm a sinner because of what Adam did, then I have to believe I'm a believer because of what Jesus did. You can't have one without the other. But it shows you where your identity's at. It shows you how you identify. 
We see a world today that's naturally confused in their identity. But we've got a world in the kingdom of God with who, of those who are spiritually confused of their identity. It takes an awareness. I've got to open my eyes to these things. If I'm going to believe the Bible about what it says about God, then I have to believe what it says about me. Did you hear that? If I'm going to read this and believe what it says about God, then I have to read it and apply what it says about me. And the reason that's difficult for some is because we identify more with our flesh, with our sin nature, than we do our new nature, than being in the kingdom of God. This is important because the verses that I'm going to read today, you will grapple with and you will struggle with and you will contend with until you gain a Christ consciousness. It's a weird thing when, when I read verses or I talk to believers, born-again believers, about who they are in Christ, and they want to respond, and there's a hesitancy and a resistance as, as if there's a rejection of the things that God has spoken about you, your worth, your value, your abilities, your capacities, the blessings that you possess. But that's what the enemy has done brought in deception. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, he made alive, who were dead. You see the contrast. Which one of those is more uh, easily received by you? Who were dead or made alive? Do you identify easier with the dead in trespasses than you do with the made alive in Christ? Sin consciousness, Christ consciousness. He says, in, once you, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also uh, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, many of us don't have a problem with reading that and identifying with that in a natural sense. That's who you used to be. So notice that a Christ consciousness doesn't deny that I used to be that. It just honors I'm not that anymore, and I don't submit to that any longer. Yes, without Christ, without God, without the sacrifice, without Jesus shedding the blood, then that's what I'm stuck in. But Paul is saying, let me contrast for you the sin consciousness with the Christ consciousness. But God, verse 4, aren't you thankful for a but God? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, here it is, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now he's starting to move into the Christ consciousness, but he's reminding you, you didn't get there on your own. You got there because of what he did. What's that tell me? That if I'm not careful, I'll move into Christ consciousness thinking I got myself there. It's my performance, my ability, 
I did this, I did that. No. He's letting you know, I'm moving you out of sin consciousness into Christ consciousness. But just remember, God puts you there by his great love with which he loved us, by his mercy. But he says he made us alive together. Everyone say together. Verse 6 says, and raised us up together. Everyone say together. And made us sit together. Everyone say together. In the heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. Where Jesus is, so am I. I said, where Jesus is, so am I. Now, I don't know what your definition of together is. But it does, sure doesn't mean separate. It sure doesn't mean in two different places. It means together. You know, in the previous chapter, in Ephesians chapter 1, he actually, uh, Paul makes the statement that the body is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Jesus is the head. Christ is the body. Now, in the 39 years I've been on this planet, my head and body have never been in two separate places. My mind has been in separate places. But my physical head has always been right here. Always. I can assure you of that. If you get a head separated from the body, got a problem. But there's a lot of decapitated churches where the body's not sitting where the head is. <laughs> now, Paul says, you were made alive together, raised up together, and seated together. He put it in there three times. You think he's trying to get something over on us? Think he's trying to push a point home? Together. Everyone say together. Yes. Together with Christ. Together with Christ. That's your identity. That's who you are. See, God did in Jesus everything he wanted to do in you. God did in Jesus everything he wanted to do in you. And so when Jesus paid that price, he didn't just pay that price to translate you from earth to heaven. He, he paid that price to translate you from separated to together. And now when I confess Jesus as Lord, I'm not just gaining access to a place that I go when I die. I'm gaining access to a kingdom that I can bring from heaven to the earth. Now, here and now. Here and now, made us alive together. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Amplified, uh, let's do, um, do verse 5 in the Amplified. Even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, he made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. In union, synced up. That's how connected and together you and I ought to be living. In union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. For it is by grace, his favor and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation. He, read, he has raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. If that don't make you happy, I can't help you. There ain't nothing I can do for you. Look at verse 10. For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works. See, you got new DNA. You're in a new family line, and the new family line you're in doesn't have an alcohol problem. The new family line you're in doesn't have a divorce issue. The new family line that you're in doesn't have an anger issue. The new family line you're in knows how to be a good steward with what God's given you and not spoil everything that he puts in your hands. The new family line in you is not the family line you came out of in the world. Which one do you identify with? Sin consciousness? Christ consciousness. This is recreated, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. I'm going to read verse 10 in the Passion. I'm just informing you, informing you revealing to you, if you will, of who you are in Christ. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. Recreated in the image of Christ. Goodness. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2. No longer are we going to live 
deceived, talked out of, or ignorant of who we are, who we are and what we have. This issue alone is the reason why we live depraved, why we live below, why we live under, why we live subjected to things that ought to be subjected to us. This is how you get over in life. God always causes us to triumph in Christ. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like a victor. When you discover your identity in Christ, feelings go away. What it looks like goes away. What it sounds like goes away. No, I'm going by what the Word says. Now remember, this is only through faith. It's only through faith that we receive this. We're not going to receive this by God proving it to us. You're going to have to believe it when it goes against everything coming against it. You're going to have to believe you're the healed of the Lord when your body is showing every symptom that it's not. You're going to have to believe you're an overcomer when everything looks like I'm a loser and I'm, and I'm suffering under something else. You're going to have to believe that you are delivered even when it looks like you're bound. You're going to have to believe again. It wouldn't be faith if everything uh, aligned to prove to you you are what this book says you are. You live it by faith. I said, we live this by faith. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Is that where I told you to go? The New King James. I have been crucified with Christ. There it is. There's no sin consciousness when you've crucified it. When you've crucified the sinful man, when you've crucified the flesh nature, when you have decided to Beat your body into subjection, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I run my race as an athlete that beats his body into subjection. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The Passion reads this way. My old identity has been co-crucified with Christ and no longer lives. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. One translation says that Jesus now lives in me using my body for his benefit. You know the old uh, ask Jesus into your heart adage. You won't find that in the Bible, but in essence what you're doing is you're inviting him into your life but he's only invited in when you've kicked the old identity out. He will not cohabitate with the sinful nature. He will not cohabitate with the brokenness. He will not cohabitate with the mess. He, you've got to crucify that 
We don't wake up day to day and say, which one will I yield to? I wake up every day dying daily to the flesh and saying, this has to die, and I submit. Well, Pastor Mark, what happens if I keep submitting to the flesh? Then you just need more revelation. You need more revelation. I'm not against natural measures. But if you're using natural measures to accomplish what only revelation by the word of God can accomplish, you will always be left dissatisfied. Counseling and therapy, nothing wrong with it. But you better be in the word too. 12-step plans, go at it. But you better be in the word too and get your identity in Christ, not in a 12-step plan. And you may just find that this will work and you may not even need to spend the money and the time and the effort with all the other natural measures that man wants to give you to keep the cycles going. Because the devil will get you to succeed just enough, but then break that you have to repeat the cycle all over again. And it's time we get some believers off the hamster wheels of life and start walking in their identity in Christ. Amen. A new identity will do wonders for you. You'll look a lot better in Christ. You'll look a lot better in Christ. We all look a lot better in Christ. The old is gone, the new is come. He says, I crucified my flesh. What were we reading a minute ago? Were we in the passion yet? The passion, Galatians 2.20 and the passion. Old identity has been co-crucified with Christ, no longer lives. Now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives in lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me, dispensing his life into mine. Goodness. You have the life of Jesus running through your veins. You have the life of Jesus running through your body. You have the life of Jesus overtaking and overwhelming the old broken life. Now submit to the new life. The Amplified reads this way, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared his crucifixion. It's no longer I who live. But Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, by adherence to, and reliance on, and complete trust in. I'll read that again. I live it by faith, by adherence to, reliance on, and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, the enemy actually wants you to think that it's prideful to live this way. Oh, holier than thou. Super spiritual. <laughs> no, I'm living with a adherence to, reliance on, and complete trust in. And I would just go ahead and submit this to you. 
that it's actually more prideful not to live this way than it is to live thinking I'm just a lowly servant sinner saved by grace. It's more prideful because now you're telling God that he put on you a calling and an assignment that you cannot live up to and he didn't know what he was thinking, he didn't know what he was doing beforehand when he prearranged this whole thing. And so I'm gonna tell you what I'm really worthy of. I'm gonna tell you what I really can have. I'm gonna tell you what I really will walk in. I will tell you what my real identity is. That's actually more prideful. That's more prideful. No, I'm not going to tell the manufacturer I can't do what he told me I could do when he destined it before I even came into the planet. In his mind, he knew what I would do. He prearranged it. He set this thing in motion before you ever walked the earth. I will not tell the manufacturer what my capacities are, what my abilities are. I won't do it. He knows a lot better than I do. In the message translation, Galatians 2 verse 20, in the message, Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You have a new life in Christ. Now, I want you to go to Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8. How many of you are thankful for new life? Thankful for new life in Christ. Now, in the New King James... Start with verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. And out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? He's asking the question, a God that is so great and a God that is so mighty, a God that is so masterful in all that you've created, all that you've destined, all that you've done, all that you've proven, all that you've arranged, who are we? That you, that you would think of us. And who are we? Out of all creation, what you created on the sixth day, you gave the most power and authority and the greatest assignment to. You were not created like he created the trees. You were not created 
like he created the stars in the sky. You were not created like he created the mountains. You were not created like he created the sun and the earth and the vast universe and all the planets and all the... You are the greatest thing, the greatest creation he put on this planet. And so the, the writer's asking, who, who are we that you're mindful of us out of all that you created and the son of man that you visit him? Verse 5, for you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. That sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, doesn't it? O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Man has always struggled with the identity that God gave him. From Genesis chapter 3 on, man has struggled with accepting, valuing, and honoring how God intended you and I to be created. We have struggled with the thought the enemy has tricked us and deceived us out of who we really, truly are. So when the translators wrote this passage, translated it from the original Hebrew, they couldn't accept it in its original form. They couldn't accept the actual writing that the author intended to begin with. The enemy's been doing this since Genesis chapter 3. And we have a new King James Version that has dumbed down what verse 5 ought to say. And so we run around thinking that God created us lower than angels. Because the enemy has tricked you into a lie that you are not what God said you are. Now, the author of the Bible is not man. The author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit of God. God authored this Bible. This is his word. And you and I don't get to go in and scratch out and change and, and, and erase and put in new words where we want to put in words that are more acceptable to our low thinking. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, but he didn't tell you to stay there. He's letting you know, you don't think like I do. You need to elevate your thinking. You need to come on up to where I'm at. And he did not make you a little lower than the angels. Well, Pastor Mark, that's what it says. No, that's what the translators said. That's what a man interpreting the original Hebrew couldn't accept what the original translation was. And so they said, ah, that, 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 that can't be right. We'll do angels. But that word angels is actually the word Elohim. Capital E, 
L-O-H-I-M. Elohim. The same word used in Genesis chapter 1 for God. Capital G-O-D. Why is this important? Because when, if we keep repeating stuff that gets off a little, we're going to find ourselves years down the road so far away from what God originally intended, and then we wonder why we can't get the Bible to work for us. Then we wonder why we can't get healed when we pray. Then we wonder why we can't get deliverance from this thing that we've been fighting with. Then we do, Because we aren't accepting what God said. We're lowering what he said down to what we can receive rather than receiving what God said. You'll never have to work on the giving side of God. You'll never have to work on the giving side of God. You'll never have to do anything to motivate God to move on your behalf. You'll never have to, it doesn't matter how emotional you get, doesn't matter how boo-hoo and crying you get, it doesn't matter how distraught you get, it doesn't matter how broken you get, it doesn't matter uh, how sick you get, none of that moves God. Faith is the only thing that moves God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if your faith is in a manipulated word of God that someone reinterpreted and misinterpreted because they couldn't handle what the word said, We're trying to make misinterpreted scripture work for us. Man's been doing this since Genesis chapter 3. The devil even got them to translate it in a Bible. Now that doesn't mean the translation's wrong. Don't, don't get off on these little tangents that versions and interpretation. Look, there is no perfect version or interpretation. Just go ahead and understand. I've had people talk to me about why do you use that version? Why do you read it? Don't you know that it came out of a satanic cult? No, no, no. What, man? Read the verse. Read the verse. Did, did you keep it in context with the whole rest of the Bible? We get super religious and legalistic and dumb with this kind of stuff. No. Understand what the original interpretation was and does it remain consistent? Because being lower than angels isn't consistent with Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. No, the New American Standard reads verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. I say all this because it shows the ease of slipping into something less than and lower than what God intended for. I do not work for angels. I don't submit to angels. I don't listen to angels unless they're speaking from God, unless they're bringing a command from heaven. But angels are here to do our bidding. They are here to bring and move and shift what you and I command. You are a lowercase g. What is your identity? You are a little God. You are the king's kind. He has put inside of you every function, every ability, every capacity, uh, everything, every blessing. 
so that you can perform the original intent to rule and reign on this earth. What do you, when we say he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who are those kings and lords? You're the king kind. I said, you're the king kind. You're the God kind. He created you in his image and in his likeness. Don't accept anything less than that. Don't accept anything below that. No? And maybe right now you've got running around in your mind every reason why you're not the king's kind. Every reason why you're not the God kind. You need, a, you need an awareness. You need a revelation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Guys, we live in a world of too many sources of information. Remember when I read to you in Matthew chapter 16, worship team, you guys can come on up. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they had a bunch of sources of information, didn't they? Well, some say John the Baptist. Some say you're one of the prophets. Some say you're Elijah. Come back again. And what did Jesus say? Who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up. I believe you're the Messiah, son of the living God. And what did Jesus respond back with? You finally figured it out, Peter. You, 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 you learned who I am. Did you go to school to learn that? Did, did, did somebody inform you of that? No. He said what? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. You want to know who you are? You're going to have to get it by revelation. There's no podcast that's going to help you. I am not telling you who you are. I'm telling you how to discover who you are. I'm telling you how to discover what I already know. And we're all only living up to what we already know. I cannot live beyond my knowledge. I cannot live beyond my revelation. My life will always be limited to the level of revelation that I receive. But if we keep calling angels what God calls God, we're going to find ourselves falling short of what God intended. You're mightier than you think. You're stronger than you think. You're more capable than you think. I kept telling Matthew and Virginia that all week long. I said, you're equipped for this. I know it seems overwhelming. I know it seems like, what do we do to deserve this? And we've had a lot of attacks in our body in the last couple months. Our church body. We've seen some people leave us, leave the earth. We've seen some things that the world would call suffering. We've seen attacks. I've told you plenty of times, you, you preach the way we preach and you believe the way we believe and you, you live by uh, the word of God the way that we want to live by the word of God and you'll get a bullseye on your back. 
And for the last few months, it seems like it's just one after another. A hit from here, we recover from that, and there's another one right around the corner. That's okay. We're equipped for this. Because I don't believe that I'm created less than, lower than what God intended. Now, the devil has no problem trying to tempt you to prove who you really are. He did it to Jesus, he'll do it to you. If you are the son of God. That word, if, is actually translated since. The devil knew who he was. And the devil knew that Jesus knew who he was. The devil knew, I'm not talking you out of your identity. But if he can't talk you out of your, out of your identity, he'll try to talk you out of your authority. No, we're just going to stand our ground. I'll remind you that your obedience to God is what will save you. If Adam and Eve remained obedient to the word of the king, do not eat of the fruit of this tree, the devil couldn't touch him. He could have stayed in the garden. He had no access and no authority to their life until they disobeyed the word. And what did Jesus do in his temptation? Brought the word. It is written. It is written. It is written. He adhered to, relied upon, put his full trust and dependence in the word of God. The devil couldn't touch him. And then he finally said, get away from me. And he had to go. See, when you understand this, John 14 comes alive. These works that I do, you will do, and even greater works, because I go to my Father who is in heaven. We have a hard time reconciling some of these scriptures and these passages because we still view ourselves as lower than what God intended. But when you raise your thinking, Elevate your level of revelation. When you come to the full knowledge, as Paul prayed, I'm praying that you'll come to discover this. I'm praying earnestly, diligently, intentionally, daily, that you will see who you really are, your identity. You've been raised up together. You've been made alive together. You are now seated together in heavenly places. If it's under Jesus' feet, it's under your feet. If he has authority over it, you have authority over it. If it doesn't have authority over him, it cannot have authority over you. If he could speak to it, you can speak to it. If he could lay hands on it, you can lay hands on it. If he could stop it, you can stop it. If he can start it, you can start it. We have to start applying the word of God to our lives and not just reading fairy tales and fictions that, oh, wasn't that great? That happened one time. We believe in the past. We believe in the future that when I die, I'll go to heaven. But what is God doing right now? What's he doing in the present? What's he changing through you? What sphere of influence are you in that he's placed you in to bring the authority of heaven to the earth? This only happens by those that see themselves the way God sees. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. 
By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.